Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When Diplomacy Fails presents... Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome to Hello when Diplomacy Hello and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years War. Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To When Diplomacy Fails special on World War I. The Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916 to the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails, Remastered. Hello guys, welcome back to the second part of the interview. Thanks for returning to hear us really wrap up this conversation. I had a great time doing it, and I hope you guys will check out Anazaman's blog. Just go to anazaman.blogspot.com. The guy really does have a pretty impressive pedigree behind him. And I want to thank him again. Well, I'll thank him again properly over email, etc. But I want to thank him again over this for joining me for what was a really fun conversation. And I think you'll guys agree that... It was pretty good. I'm very happy with it. And I'd love to do one of these things again with him or anyone else for that matter. So yeah, thanks guys very much for tuning in. And I hope you enjoy us wrapping up the conversation. <laughs> you should you should note as well, you, you will notice this because I'll allude to it. I'll, I'll cut through it in the actual interview. During the course of this conversation the two of us had, what should arrive in the post and make my dog bark, but... My mugs, my merchandise. <laughs> Pretty hilarious, really. But yeah, so that's that just goes to show I'm a real person and this is real life. This is your life, Zach, etc. So yeah, how about that? How about capturing that on audio? You can tell by the excitement in my voice that I was looking forward to unwrapping some pretty sweet mugs. And I did, and that's how we got to where we are today. I'm just going to say thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this wrapping up conclusion. 
to this wonderful interview Anna and I had. Alrighty, see you soon. It is fair to say, I think, that some history podcasters do like the sounds of their own voice, but that's true with, like, every podcaster in every category, I'm sure there's people... That makes you a podcaster. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like, in in every category, I'm sure, like, you could have, like, a history of of football or something, and there'd be one, one podcast that just drones on and doesn't really say very much. Like, they're all talk, but they don't have anything to say, that old cliche, but... I probably should have prefaced this by asking what your actual tastes are. I mean, how wide does Anna's interests range, really, in podcasting? So it's very eclectic, but I'm, I'm a, and I also have an academic leaning. So uh, when it is uh, too much popularized, then it uh, that turns me off a little bit. So, uh, for example, there is a podcast, uh, Stuff You Missed in History. Oh. Uh, and they, and they, they did these very unnatural dialogues. And, and that was uh, that was just oversimplifying and, and making it. Anyway, the, the, the less said about it, the better. But it's is it, just, not, it, is it go- not there anymore? Is it gone? Well, I'm not lo- I'm, I'm not trying to find out whether it still exists. I'm, <laughs> I'm just assume, assuming that it doesn't exist anymore because I, I think it has no nothing to add but maybe there's you know i i i do not see how history can make for for light entertainment I, but let's yeah. say very light entertainment okay i'm 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 a little bit too serious for that yeah there there are some questions that i really i there are some things that i really try to understand the whole reason why i studied sociology and psychology and why i studied law i, I try i'm i'm very passionate about trying to uh, to find out what makes people tick and 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 mm. what makes them uh, think the way they do and what makes societies uh, function the way they do but uh, yeah also uh, sociology psychology languages that can also draw me in uh, for example the history of english that brings those two together yeah uh, even when i'm completely tired of podcasts i still listen to that podcast mm. he's he's kevin Stroud. he's very very good i think he started two or three months before me and i remember listening to him and being like wow this guy is because there was such a wealth of information but it was well disseminated and i think It's hard enough to do that in a book format because you can often hear people say that history is really dry. And that's why, to a certain extent, you have to make podcasts. Well, I mean, you do have to make them even more accessible than a book because at least with a book, people can put it down. But and they and they might go back to it later. But if you turn people off with a podcast, they're not going to try and find the place that you lost them in that podcast and resume from there. And they might not even go back to your podcast ever at least they might go back to your book if you wrote a book or they might go back to a different book that you wrote because maybe you just didn't do very well the first time. But I mean, I suppose that analogy could be turned either way. But to me, it's kind of like finding the balance between making history academic and actually well-researched and learned, but also at the same time, fun. If that's too much, maybe fun is too much of a cliche, but I do have fun when I'm doing it. And if a podcast isn't fun for me to listen to, then... I don't really like to listen to it because life is hard enough. I mean, you you don't want to listen to a podcast and have to either think really, really hard or like get confused by things. And if I do that to my listeners, I would consider my job failed really as a podcaster.
Yeah, but but uh, but it's 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 a mystery w- what would work as a podcast because what you were saying, uh, history can be very dull and boring, and in the case of uh, the history of English, I mean, linguistics is also very technical and boring, mm. and, and Kevin Stroud he pulls it off. I, I'm, but I can also see when I talk to people about the history podcast, and I get really excited about the history of English. I can see from uh, the look in people's eyes that, well, you know, now you're taking it too far. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. yeah. Oh, I get you. I've I've been there. If you think that's bad, wait until you tell them that you spend hours on end just plugging away at a desk or talking to yourself for hours on end. That's when people start to to really be like, what do you mean you can't come out, Zach? Why why are you doing that podcasting thing again? Are you serious? Come on. But then I give them a, a free badge or a free fridge magnet, and then they like me again, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Besides, you, you, you're getting married. It's not like you, I know. You're, you're shunned by the girls, and you you can't <laughs> you, you can't you don't get out there. You do. So yeah, you're having a life, and you also uh, enjoy doing this. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's always incidentally my 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 wife's name is is Anna so Anna and myself I mean she's always been in the position to kind of she accepts my intense passion for podcasting and for history as well and because she is like one of my biggest fans although she's let she's yet to listen to a full episode because she's just kind of like not that she finds it really boring but she's kind of like oh I just keep on getting distracted by your voice because I'm just like oh it's it's my husband and everything but yeah, I, you have to have someone supporting you all the time. Because if she was like, "Oh, why, why are you doing that podcast?" It would be kind of, it wouldn't. It w- I'd feel guilty for doing it, and then I'd feel silly for doing it as well. But having having a number one fan there makes all the big difference. Fantastic! You're lucky. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'd like to ask. I mean, I'd like to be kind of positive about this. Would you be able to say that history podcasting now is is better than it's ever been? Yes, I think it is. And and you mentioned the history of English there, but is there any kind of is there any other content out there that kind of just wows you like you've you didn't maybe you didn't expect all that much, but you listened to it and you were like, "Wow, this is so much better than I expected. This is really good. I have to I have to tell people about this." Have have you had that kind of moment? Well, I have I'm having these moments very frequently and 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 also for for very different reasons. So, for example, I'm very excited about the history of Islam because I think it is also very necessary, very 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 needed right now mm-hmm. that this history is out there. We we have to know Islam uh, in the West much better than we actually do. I, I'm I was I'm very excited about the the history of Denmark. Uh, oh yes! Only if you consider that this is a, this guy is is like 18 years old. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a high school student, and and he's doing it so well. It's such a mature podcast. I find that flabbergasting. It is, yeah, it is. It's amazing. It says a lot both about him and about the Danish education system that he's <laughs> that he's able to that he's yeah. able to produce such an incredibly good quality stuff. So the history of Denmark, if anyone hasn't heard of it, go go and look it up because it's very good. And yeah. it actually interjects with a lot of the stuff I've talked about in this with the likes of the Thirty Years War and, and other and other uh, wars. So it, it's a good, very good accompaniment to it. So yeah. When you talk about the the Thirty Years' War, what's it called? Wittenberg to Westphalia. Yes, yeah. I, he's he's very good. The Italian Unification is an exciting podcast. 
I, I personally have a great love for the Bulgarian history podcast, so the history of Bulgar, Bulgaria. I'm, I'm not sure in which uh, uh, order it is, it is named. <laughs> but Bulgaria is not like prominent in mainstream history, and I really didn't know what to expect. And the maker really, really manages very well to, to pull me in. So mm. uh, I, I think I could go on. Um, but I think that the, when I'm saying that history podcast is, is, is better uh, today, it is because I can – you ask me for – give me a list of, uh, of podcasts that you were happy about. And, you know, just off the cuff, I can give you five, six, seven. And then there are like eight or ten that I didn't even manage – to listen to yet, you know, how did I find history of Iran, history of, of Armenia? Because I said to myself, hey, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the history of Armenia. Let's see mm. if there is a history of Armenia podcast. Well, there yeah. is. I would like, love to learn more about the history of Ethiopia. Well, I haven't found a history of Ethiopia yet, but there are here and there some episodes within podcasts. I'm I'm very excited always when I find something about the Indus Valley civilization. There's very little uh, known about this uh, civilization. The, all the research is really in its is still in its infancy, and I think there is still a lot to be discovered, if if alone because they haven't cracked their writing system yet. And if if one day they'll manage to decipher it or decipher at least in part, we're going to find out so much more about you know one one huge gap on the map and in the in the timeline, and and that alone I find fascinating. So I could I can get excited about a, a subject really easily, and the and the great thing is it's all there. And you take uh, and like ten years ago. When you found a new podcast, when by the title you could tell they're tell, they're talking about something that interests me, you were you could not be sure when you were listening to it, you could even hear properly what they were saying. There were <laughs> yeah. so many technical difficulties in 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 just putting out good audio. And today it is very 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 uh, rare that uh, somebody is blowing in his in his microphone or has a lot of noise in the background or has a really low audio level or has a, a an an insufferable voice. There are a couple <laughs> of people who really shouldn't be podcasting because they don't do not have the voice for it. That was very common in the past. So you have something of a of a of a baseline that everybody abides by. And and now that there is so much content, I think as a whole, history podcasting should go to the next step and should embrace the general rules of thumb that you also use when you're when you're writing an essay or when you're writing an article or a book you have to have something of a point that you want to you ha, you're, you're you're no longer mike duncan who is the first to podcast and you're just telling the story no now mm. it, it is becoming a, a conversation it actually becomes a conversation in your agora podcast network where you come together and do you do these panel discussions sure. that is what is happening history podcasting is just you know in the world of history sources or places where you can find uh, history being discussed, it is no longer just books. It is also podcasts, and there are so many that this is part of the discourse. And a discourse, it means it's a, it's a dialogue. So you're reacting to something. something uh, some of this you can assume uh, people already know, or you can just summarize and say, oh, this is – 
this is our, our starting point, but now we have to have a good question. And that's the next step that we have to make. And, and, and everybody is beginning to make that step and it's not exactly there yet. If there is something that I have to say, and I'm not sure how I can make bring that across in my <laughs> blog, but here you're giving me a wonderful platform to say, do, this yeah. is what... This is what I have to say. So look, people, I've been listening to history podcasts for more than 10 years, and uh, I will keep doing that. But please take yourself seriously. You like what you're doing, then do it well. Mm-hmm. And, and then this is the way to do it right. Yeah. yeah. Very, very simple, very simple advice, uh, but very important advice. And without any of those kind of tenets that you have to abide by, and, and like with the other stuff as well, you have to take yourself seriously, but... And seriously enough to cover the content properly, adequately, professionally, but not so seriously that you turn people off because you're just not going to be in the mood for jokes or you're just too sensitive that any kind of criticism at all just makes you want to quit the whole thing and run away. But yeah. like you're you're right. And I think that the future really is bright for history podcasting, even judging by the people that are already doing such such random topics and it's great. It's sad in a way because I know personally myself, as soon as you become a podcaster, you have instantly got less time to listen to podcasts. And I think that's the real the, the real sadness for me is that I haven't been able to really delve into all these history podcasts. I barely listen to podcasts now myself. And the only real way I keep up to speed is by seeing the latest ones. And I think the most recent one I listened to was the history of Denmark. And that's why it's kind of stuck with me, because when I listened to his and realized how young he was, then I was kind of like, huh, okay, history podcasting is in, is in pretty good hands. All right, let's let's do this, guys. You know, I mean, it, it's great. It really is great. Even though it's sad for me that I don't have more time, that's like, let, let's be honest, it's mostly self-inflicted. I don't have to spend all my life doing this. I probably could tone it down a little bit. Were I to have kids or or more of a more of a life outside of podcasting or the desire to be more sociable, perhaps, then I'm sure I would balance it out more. But I mean, I've always been a kind of all or nothing guy. So so it's fine. I'm not sure whether you're working right now as a historian, but you certainly were a history student and mm. you, you've got a PhD or at least a, a second degree in history, right? I've got a master's, yeah. A yeah. master's, right. And, and you also uh, turned your, uh, your uh, master's thesis both into a book and into a podcast. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that interests me is... Yep, so it was at this point that the postman interrupted us and my merchandise arrived. So after receiving the massive package complete with all the mugs from the eager postman, I then put it on my kitchen table, ran back to Anna and continued our conversation, which is where I will resume this conversation. Thanks for your patience. And thanks again to Anna for his patience too. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry about that, Anna. No problem. That was, no problem. That was my merchandise arriving. <laughs> Your merchandise? Yes, yes. Uh, for the for the Patreon, I I got loads of uh, loads of merchandise sorted for the different ward levels. I don't know if you've actually looked at. I don't know if you actually looked at Patreon yet. It's it's a great way for podcasters to kind of expand themselves. So I kind of invested a lot of my time and. And money's in that. And yeah, we have mugs. <laughs> Good. But yeah. 
is it is it somewhat rewarding is it is it picked up by the audience to say i'm very skeptical i've i've been talking over the years with so many podcasters who were uh, looking for a way to to make some money out of the podcasting not to make big bucks of it mm. but at least get some of the expenses covered and i never saw anything uh, work really well so uh, turned me into a very skeptical uh, guy and plus that as a dutchman and an israeli I'm, of course i'm i'm very very cheap myself i will not <laughs> part with my money under any circumstance of course yes of course no i i under i'm exactly the same i'm exactly the same but lately i've i've really gotten invested into this i mean put it this way it's the most effective way for podcasters to make money i went from i said the way it works is you people pledge money to you in yeah. return like they can join different ranks. I'll link you to it after this, just because you'll when you'll see it, you might right. understand. It As a, a matter better. of fact, I mean, this is a very interesting development, and and I think uh, what what you're experiencing now, and you're really at the forefront of of the modern media. So fascinating. Okay, I'm not writing about it anymore, but I've never stopped listening to podcasts. I've never stopped pondering about uh, the future of podcasts and how how is this ever going to work? And you know, mm. first, uh, ten years in, we're still at the point. That everybody who's putting out a podcast is actually doing this for free and even the institutional podcasts like you know the BBC4 that are bringing out uh, still bringing out every week in our time which is you know another standard in history podcasts oh big time yeah yes although they should uh, replace Melvin Bragg I think he's he's getting tired and old and and worn down or I'm just getting bored maybe it's grumpy uh, and is the grumpy man uh, talking here again that I'm uh, much less enthusiastic about uh, in our time these days but what I was trying to say is that you can see that this media world is developing and and, and there is still no clear business model so uh, mm. a lot of the content is out there for free and, and people who are bringing it are not making anything out of it, they're barely covering the expenses yeah. uh, but becomes gradually clear that the public is coming around and is ready to pay so okay if there is content that i like and i'm like mm-hmm. that myself you know i'm really i'm i'm ready to you know a good podcast like history of english he has also brought out a couple of uh, audiobooks i i spent money on that i bought mm-hmm. that and and I, I thought i would never do that yeah, yeah, and and you know uh, one of the perks of being a, a podcast reviewer is that more often than not, the things that people sometimes have to pay for, I, I'm getting them for free because the content developer is is hoping that I will give a, a positive review or just you know it, it 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 brings it spreads the word. I am I am still approached very very frequently by new podcasts who want to to review even things that are completely out of scope with with my subject <laughs> um, but it only goes to show that it's a real struggle to to get your name out there and to uh, to find some kind of an an income uh, but it is developing as well and and these these platforms like Patreon or these platforms of collaboration uh, like Acast, that is making it happen. Yeah. And, and two or three years ago, it wasn't there yet. Stick around and, it, and it's going to get better. <laughs> we diverted here because I was asking about the production of the content and how different is, yes. is, is writing a podcast from writing an article. I have some thoughts about it myself, but I, first of all, I, want, I wanted to hear your experience with that. I'd be, I'd be happy to tell you because as... I set up the podcast in May 2012, which was the tail end of my first year 
in my Bachelor of Arts. So then my writing style wasn't very mature anyway. But certainly when I was doing, I just the best example is when I was doing the Masters, when I was doing the Masters dissertation, moreover, and I was balancing that with developing scripts in the meantime. Once you finish something like a dissertation, which every single sentence has to count and there can't be any because you know that like your your whole degree depends on it really and your future in general yeah. there cannot be any element of oh this sentence doesn't need to be here or you said that already in a different way or oh you don't need to you don't need to keep people updated like every step of the way or or ask people are they still with you rhetorically all the time which i have a tendency but, to listen do. zach are you suggesting here that uh, academic writing uh, demands a, a huge level of scrutiny and that comes nowhere near to podcast writing Somewhat, yes. <laughs> ah, well, maybe that's why I'm a grumpy man because I think uh, a lot of scrutiny is needed in in podcasts as well. But but please can continue to tell us about the experience, mm. and then I'll, then I'll give you my two cents. But I, I want to keep them till the last moment. Sure, uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, I do agree that I, I'm definitely under scrutiny when I do podcast episodes because people obviously they'll tell me if something's wrong, but it's not. Like I would not, I certainly didn't take like say the latest script I did for the for the Franco Dutch War. I did not take that as seriously writing it out and researching it as I would have had I been doing the dissertation. I mean that's just like I think that would be expected. I mean obviously you make sure the details are all right, but the style's going to be different. I like to yeah. think that you can have the information there, but not be very formal. The last thing I want is to be formal. To the degree that people feel like they should be wearing a shirt and tie when they're listening to the podcast because they think they might be falling back in time to when they were in that college lecture a few years ago or something where the professor was so dry and and, and stuck up and tight that he, he didn't even like look down at you. He just looked at his notes the entire time. I want yeah. to... I wanted to make it be... Which is a bad lecturer, by the way. You know, oh, yeah. I, I, I've been a lecturer uh, for seven... I, I was a lecturer for seven years until I made the switch. And and I, I know exactly where where you're losing your 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 audience, mm. and and then you're just a bad lecturer. You you can be very good academic, but if you you have to be able to 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 capture the audience. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And I think as well as that, you can tell when you're doing a podcast. You can't really tell if people are switching off, but when you're doing a lecture and you're standing in front of people, if someone's evidently zoning out or looking at their phone or or hiding behind their laptop screen then then it's easier to tell so but it's kind of the same to try and link it back to the dissertation idea it's kind of the same with that you have a list of things you need to cover you must answer the question so in a way it's a lot easier than a podcast because with the podcast you have to set everything yourself with the dissertation i had my my what's it called a thesis supervisor helping me develop the question and then I checked in with him regularly to make sure that I was doing it right and doing it properly. But like that again, I mean, I often think that with certain podcasts or podcasters, they do well to have a supervisor saying, no, oh, you don't, yes. you don't yes. need to have all this content or or at least save it for later. Maybe leave us rather than having a less than fleshed out idea that just adds to the weight of the podcast and makes it feel bloated. Take it out develop it more and release it as its own thing later on. If you think it's important enough to in include it in a tiny little passing reference, save it for later when you can do it justice. So that's yep. 
that's what I feel like the the big difference. I think obviously with the referencing and everything else. When because I've recently started offering scripts, the weekly scripts as part of the the patron idea, and I'll be offering a members feed as well, and and the merchandise, like I said. So it's kind of like you need to make sure that your stuff can be traced. I want it to be transparent. I want it to be accessible. I want it to be sourced. I want it to be professional. Like there's a fine line between casual and academic you can be academic in a good way like it doesn't have the negative connotations for some people it always will because they just had a bad experience with with college in general or even history in general and what in which case i have very little chance to get through to them but either way you have to uh, like i looked when i was doing both of these things i looked at them both differently and uh, if i didn't do that i feel like my dissertation would have looked more like a podcast script than an actual dissertation and you know it's being read by some of the people who i would have sourced incidentally who i would have referenced during the podcast like so blah and blah says this quote kind of thing like when you know the people like that are going to be looking at your dissertation you need to be sure that it's watertight factually but also structurally as well and i would (laughs) i would like to think most of my scripts do that most of my episodes do that but I obviously can't speak for all of them, and I don't have the benefit of a of a th- of a supervisor looking over my shoulder, which sometimes I would like to have. <laughs> but there you go. Do you listen to your own episodes? I do. I do. I listen to actually. Do you know what I I said earlier that I don't listen to episodes or I don't listen to podcasts? My podcast is one of the few podcasts I do listen to, simply because I feel. On the one hand, my own voice helps me to go to sleep. I don't know if anyone else has ever found that, but I find it a very good uh, encourager to go to sleep. But during the day, when I go for a run, I often like to listen to one of the old talk episodes I did with my friend Sean that we do in that format because I just find I still find them funny. Five years later, four years later, I still find Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365 day returns. That that we laughed over funny and it's nice to revisit like a conversation you had with your friend. Uh, So in a way that's that's good. But yeah, with, with some of the projects, if I'm happy the way that they went, 
I mean, to me, the 1916 Rising project will always be special to me because I'd always had these views on that particular event in history. And I feel like in that case, I'd like to think I did do them justice and I was proud of the way it went and the way it was produced as well in interjecting the music and and, and getting the rights to it and, and sorting that all out. I was proud of myself for being able to do that. And I think then when I can listen to that, say most of the time I'm on a run when I listen to a podcast. So when I do that, then I, I, I feel it's very kind of rewarding to be able to pat yourself on the back and say, yeah, you did do you did do well there. And then may, maybe in five years time, I'll be like, that's that's dire. Zach, you need to do that again. But then, of course, there's the other ones that you're kind of like, oof, I shouldn't have said that that way. Or next time I'll remember that and I'll do this instead. Do you have a, a specific example of that? You shouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> is there a specific one that you were thinking of in terms of the the episode that i wish i just never put out there the episode 19 the italian ethiopian war to me just stands out as the biggest i think one of the one of the things that i, I, I like it's one of my biggest regrets was releasing that and then not taking it down and releasing it back again it was structurally all over the place professionally like produced it there was just audio glitches all over I just I wasn't happy with it at all. And every time I see that in my iPod or what have you, I think to myself, oh, I, I just oh, I just want to cringe like I, I'm not happy with that at all. But th- but there you go. Can't think of specific examples. They more stick out for me. If if something sounds bad, normally it sours the whole episode for me. And I just I just don't want to think about it whatsoever. I almost repress it from my mind and pretend it didn't happen. That hasn't really right, happened. Yeah. <laughs> hasn't really happened with anything yeah. apart from episode 19. So. That's why yeah. this whole remastering Malark is is handy because I get to get to re uh, get another chance really to to go back and fix them. Uh, like I said in the beginning, I have a gap and I didn't manage to cover all of your episodes. And uh, and the nineteen sixteen rising is marked as <laughs> one that I really want to listen to, but I haven't uh, come round to it because I also wanted to make a jump forward and and at least listen to uh, what you've recently covered. And also because I'm really interested in that era of of the the Anglo-Dutch wars and the the Franco-Dutch wars, you know, with my Dutch background and with that question, which also returns in Israeli history. It's like, okay, you have this very, very small country with with these big enemies. And how did they manage to survive? I mean, really, how, how do you explain that? I was drawn there first, but the 1916 Rising, I already marked it as a very interesting thing. Also because Irish history is not something that you get a lot of. And and the 1916 Rising, I think there was an an episode about the 1916 uh, Rising in in our time or or in another very professional podcast, but from the British perspective. Mm. And I was really waiting for an Irish perspective. So (laughs) I'm I'm expecting, I I expect (laughs) Right before, I think for the subject of the 1916 Rising, there was the Golden Age. Oh, Britain goes to war, yeah. Britain yeah. goes to war. Yeah. And, and and that's where I got stuck. And I got uh. stuck on an element of your writing. And that's exactly why I wanted to ask the question. So Ooh, did you experience? Okay. Because I've got a feeling that, especially in the first episodes – you really tried your hand at at a narrative, much more almost literary descriptions of Victorian England. Yeah. Am I right? That you, yeah. you really tried that? I did, and you know, <laughs> it's almost hilarious. I tried it and then basically changed my mind entirely with the way I wanted to do the project and just kind of 
hoped no one would notice. So thanks a million well, for bringing it up. <laughs> okay, so 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 why did you change it? Well, you see, I'd set myself stupid parameters, to, to put it bluntly. I said that I was going to start in 1897. I had this idea it was going to be really kind of dramatic with loads of flowy sound and loads of like really atmospheric stuff. And then I kind of realized I was trying to plan another episode and it was just taking forever and I was cutting audio bits out. And I was like, this is not me. Like, I mean, sure, it, it released one of these episodes every now and then, but like, this isn't who I am. I'm not a, a storyteller. I'm not like a Twilight Histories guy. I can't do this kind of format. I work better when it's like an hour. And you were right. It was not working for me, and I would be surprised if it was working for anybody else. Oh, okay. Well, I hope someone liked it. Anyway. And I have to add to that that I, I salute you for trying it because mm-hmm. I think now you're very conscious about where, where lies the, the boundary between uh, when it gets to literary because yeah. I, uh, what I really appreciate about uh, your podcast on a, on a very nitty-gritty level mm-hmm. is um, uh, the way I experience it, you have a very rich use of language. It's 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 not the the very casual, almost comic tone that David Crowther brings in, but you have your own sense of humor, and you, I feel that you're you're spending time on on saying it right. Yes, I do. If you'd ever watched one of my takes, I, I would never show them to the public eye. But if you would ever to watch me record an episode, you know I spend numerous times saying particular sentences just to get what I feel is the right version of it. It's important because otherwise people don't hear it right. But yeah, the idea with Britain Goes to War was that I would provide this almost extended version of the July Crisis Project. And Yes, but then you moved from from history mm. to i don't know some something atmospheric and yes. it was it was going on too long and 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 you already felt that it didn't work mm. but i also think on a very technical level and here i'm i'm getting to the point where, where i think history podcasts like yourself I, I think you're you're sitting down you're writing down your text you're writing it mm. you're not like dan carling who is monologuing i don't no. know how he does it well, he, he must have got notes but I, I, he's not reading sentences i i think the reason why he's able to do it is because he has a team of editors behind him like getting rid of anything that he doesn't want there i mean it's all very well for for any of us to to try but no editor is gonna help him in real time with the with the performance i mean this is like a stand-up comedian it's it's fantastic it's theater i'm enjoying this he should he should cut it down to one hour or less (laughs) that's wonderful and and he he's capable of doing it and he's doing it very well and you can see that that's where his strengths lie because when he's doing interviews his interviews are less good he's not good at asking questions and letting somebody else talk he has to talk himself Mm -hmm. so you know there you go everybody has to do what he's good at and what the god created him for um but I, i can feel with with many podcasters like yourself you're not a free speech kind of person. You're writing this down. Mm. And you're coming from, since you're a history student, you're coming from the world of writing. You're, you've been taught to write articles and essays, and, and you've produced a, a thesis for your master's. And, and what I'm getting at is I think the language is different that you should be using for a podcast as opposed to an article. Yeah. Not because an article is more serious. You can be very serious also in a podcast, but you have to appreciate the dynamic of spoken voice and written voice. And mm-hmm. when when your audience is reading, 
the audience can go back and forth on the text all the time. And this allows for longer sentences and it allows for, for constructions that a language like English allows for that sometimes the point of the, the, the sentence goes to the end. But when you're speaking a sentence and, and, and this, the, 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 the point of what you're actually going to say is pushed to the end, yeah. this can... When the sentence is getting too long, if some, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to podcasts mostly when I'm driving. So if something suddenly happens on the road and for a moment I wasn't listening, mm. this is the kind of sentence that I cannot pick up. Yeah. So I have a feeling that when you're writing for a podcast, you have to refrain from the grammatical constructions that put the subject to the end or that put the actual point, the, what you're trying to say at the end of a sentence. Oh, yeah, big time. No, you're, you are dead right. If you listen to your own podcast, I think this mm. is something that much more stand out because when you're reading for the, in front of the microphone, you're in front of the, in front of the text. Mm -hmm. And as a textual person, you're probably reading a lot of stuff every day. So you, yeah. your eyes go over the text really, really quickly. So mm. while you're reading a, a sentence, you're, you're subconsciously already capable of, of catching some of the next phrase and something of the previous phrase. But mm. when you're listening, you're completely shut out from that. You're, it's just you and the sound. And, and, and that's when it much more jumps out. And, and languages, Germanic languages like English and Dutch and German, and I happen to know a little bit of Danish, Swedish and Norwegian as well, they allow for that. Mm. And the thing that you have to say, the essence of, the, uh, of, of what you're saying is always at the beginning. Hebrew podcasts are fantastic. There are not, not too many, and the audience is very small. There are other constructions that you will only use on paper and not in speech. But sure. every language has that. And, you ha and so when you're writing for a podcast, you have to be aware of what works when you're talking. Yeah. Whereas you're, right now you're writing it, so uh, you're actually using the wrong medium <laughs> for, for, uh, for preparation. And, and so maybe uh, like playwrights. Mm. Or people who write audio drama are also experiencing this kind of dynamic. So what you're writing down in the script may be uh, very accessible as something when you read it. But when you try to, to say it on the stage or say it in front of a, of a microphone, it gets another dynamic. Once you get a hang of that, I think the podcast gets better. Yeah, yeah. And I think a, a big part of that, like I said about the whole it's amazing what you can do with the editing brush. Like it's it literally, I mean, it's obvious that it would be a lifesaver, but people don't realize when I'm reading off the script, sometimes you would ad lib certain amounts of things because when you're writing it, I'm not the kind of person who's like, oh, I'm not sure if that sounds right. I'll read it out to myself just to see. I write the script. I'm like, I'm happy with this script. And then I read it out first time. And when I'm reading it out loud, I would do things like, say, I would come across a sentence, like you said, and the point is pushed way down to the back. And like when, when I'm writing that sentence initially, I'm thinking, this is a really well-constructed sentence. Oh, I'm so great at English, la, 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 la. And then yeah. when you actually try to read it out, you're like, where am I going? Where was I going with this? Like, sometimes I curse myself thinking, like, why didn't I just put it? Like, I could have said that in way fewer words. But when you're do the benefits of reading it out and being able to, like, cover up your mistakes, essentially is that you can cover up your mistakes. So a lot of the times, well, I don't want to say a lot of the times, because I'd like to think that I'm 
well enough used to this whole process now that I know what works and what doesn't. But you still come, come across times where you didn't really realize what you were kind of writing or you didn't realize how it would sound out loud. And then you do have to, you either have to improvise or you have to pause for a little while and try to figure out what it was you were actually trying to say, uh, which can be interesting. Or you can add little bits onto it that weren't there before, which makes it even more concise, hopefully. And I think that that's the whole thing. It's like a process and you do the best that you can do. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But there's nine times out of ten, I don't want to say there's an exact science because sometimes you, you like sometimes I finish a script and I'd be happy with it. And then I go back and look at it maybe a week later when it's time to record. And I'm like, this is dirt. I can barely use half of this. That's happened, yeah. only, if, that's happened only a few times, thankfully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mostly, mostly it's because I tried to write the script at night or I've had a few beers or something, which I wouldn't recommend. And you, you think you're full of ideas then. And then you go and look at it and you're like these sentence structures. It's an underrated aspect of script writing because of most of the people who I know that are podcasters use the script format. And in a way, it's very limiting because you can only read out what you wrote down. I mean, you can leave yourself little notes to say, mention this bit. And sometimes I've often learned that it's actually better to leave yourself a little note to say, mention something. Because once you think of it, rather than reading it off, you sometimes mention it better just ad lib than you would if it was written down. And it sounds more natural as well. I'm I'm a big person for making the podcast sound to the listener like I'm not reading off a script. Because the problem is you're making it sound like your format is not the actual format. Some people, maybe they don't mind if it sounds like it's written or read off a script. And I think to to a large extent, it's very hard to hide. Some people are very good at it. I've gotten better at it. But I think it, you you obviously would notice that I'm reading off something. It's just a matter of whether or not my tone or my pitch or my voice, etc., are not so repetitive or, or so stuck in a drone that you don't mind, I guess. Well, it's it's an art in itself. And and I think some of the podcasts where I'm I'm not managing to be drawn in, they're actually failing there. Yeah. They, they probably have a good script, but you have to know how to perform that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a big part of it is performance. Like when I started out, I was so nervous and tense and everything. Sometimes now I even stand up because of the microphone I have. I'm able to do that. I just turn up its its gain a little bit and it picks me up from a little while away. And sometimes it's easier to not walk around, but stand up and be able to project your voice a bit better. And not, not I don't want people to think I'm waving my arms around or anything, but like, you know, you're able well, to Well, you're get, free to do so. <laughs> yeah, no one can see, so it's fine. There's no point sitting, sitting still feeling really tense and everything because it'll come across in your voice. That's why in the first, very first episode I did, even on the one on Bannockburn that I gave David Crowther to use for for a guest episode that basically pushed a few listeners my way at the start. It was really handy, but listening to Bannockburn now, I sound like someone who's got a gun pointed at their head. And I, I know myself, I can tell that I'm nervous. And I'm sure other people could tell I was nervous. Even in my very first talk episode I did with, with Sean, Sean didn't realize, I didn't. I just didn't think to tell him beforehand that we could actually edit the podcast. So he was, every time he made a mistake, he was like, oh, I'm real sorry, man. <laughs> but it's like, you just kind of, you get used to it and it's like with the writing style with the reading style and everything else you find what works and what doesn't and even now I know I've loads to learn and I'm constantly looking up new ways to speak better or speak more clearly or find a better like pattern in your voice the worst is if every sentence sounds the same and it's oh yes it's yeah. a, it's a weird kind of it's a weird it's almost like a musical like thing the way 
you just go and it's not something you can stop yourself doing unless you do try really really hard to concentrate apart from what i could say that at least try to to construct your sentences in such a way that some of the essence is right said at the beginning so that you're you're not kept guessing too long because that's where you can lose your audience that's one yeah. thing and as a matter of fact you cannot do that all the time because then you're too uh, monotone as well so mm-hmm. it's 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 a, it's a fantastic art form but the performance is also a fantastic art form and you're doing it and you're doing it really well and i i i really appreciate the work that you're doing i i would love to be sit in and 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 put on some <laughs> points of improvement because there is always room to improve sure. but your baseline is fantastic oh, so you're good. doing a lot of this you're doing well your writing is well your, your your language is rich your your sense of humor is good you're informative you're asking the question pulling me in all the time so you're doing a lot of this you're doing right so uh, since you're doing it right, you probably have gotten onto some of this, mm. and, and 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 it really needs to be said. How, how are you in different languages? Awful, terrible, horrendous. Like I'm yeah, yeah, and, and, and so, you butcher so names as well. That's, I butcher uh, names. I butcher English names, Anna. Like I can't. Yeah, even I'm... English names. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so don't don't get me started on the Dutch names. <laughs> oh no. I know. I think. Uh, well, let, let's just make fun of other people instead. That's way more fun. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> uh, have you have you ever considered with all those French names, German names, Dutch names, to to prepare yourself and 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 ask people in advance? Well, you see, the thing about that is, no. <laughs> I know I should, but in my head, I'm kind of like. Like, obviously, I think you're getting at the stage now where you kind of, if you want to be seen as, I I want to be seen as being on a certain level of podcasting. So I think I will have to do that going forward. But I just, to me, it's a stubbornness thing. I'm kind of like, no, I don't need to. It's fine because it's another thing I'll have to worry about. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I know I should because I know, I know for a fact. And like, I'm just, French is just such an unnatural language to me. I just can't. Every time I say it, it feels like my mouth wants to run away. And like with Dutch names, I like I I I imagine Dutch would be easier than French. I don't know why I imagine that, but I'd like to think it would be. But I just no, it's the same the same story. I mean, you could probably tell that by the way. I mean, I, I, I you know the thing I I can tell that at some point you've apparently been been informed, and then you you change the way you pronounce it. Mm. And and with Dutch names, you know, I I, I would have written you uh, an email. Please, this is the, this is the point at which I no longer know which language am I speaking. I'm, when I'm getting a little bit tired, I mix in uh, Dutch, Hebrew, and English, and, and nobody knows what I'm saying. But okay, so here's the point: you have to with all these Dutch wars. You are in a in a position. It's almost a lose lose situation mm. because if you were to pronounce the name exactly right in in Dutch, probably apart from the the few Dutch listeners that you have nobody knows who you're talking about yeah right so yeah. so there is something like for example the the big dutch admiral I go know. ahead what's his name <laughs> well if you'd asked me about six months ago i would have said <laughs> i would have said de Rutcher, which is obviously wrong and even the the later version of how i think because i realized i was spelling it wrong all this time not even just 
pronouncing it wrong. Now I think it's De Ruyter, but I'm probably wrong with that as well. Okay, so in Dutch we say Michiel de Ruyter, and 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 nobody will. That's just too difficult. So when you switch from Rutcher to Reuter, yeah, I said, well, thank God to that because at least. <laughs> At least the, yeah. the, the broad international audience who, who may have seen the film The Admiral said, yeah. oh, it's that guy. Yeah. But, but Rutcher, <laughs> you may, to switch the T and the Y, I, I, it was like a, a dyslexia think, shouting in my ear. And, 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 and that's something that, that I think a, a, a tiny bit of research can, can mm. sort of help you. And, and if I'm not entirely mistaken... If you go to Wikipedia and for for these names, they have a, a button that you yeah. can pronounce. Most, most of the time. And now I've done that with a lot of, I did that with the likes of Sertigenbosch and I did it with a few other other places, like a few a few Peter, people's names. And I'm kind of like, oh, what way is that spelled? But it's always the ones that I feel like I really need that Wikipedia doesn't have. And that's the yeah. thing. Um, so, yeah, I definitely appreciate what you're saying. And it's so funny. I think I don't know why I spelt that wrong. I think for a good 50% or even 75%. And now suddenly then a wild de Reuter appears and people are, might be wondering, is this the same guy? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I know. And, and you must have known that at some point you found out it was not the Schleifen plan, but the Schleifen plan. Yes. Oh, I did. I got told that. And, and the annoying thing is I got told it and then... I, I said, sorry, all that kind of thing. At, at some stage, I did. And then people who listened to the very earlier episodes who, do, who like, it's the same. I just, like, I just event, invented words. Like, I, I used to say hegemony instead of hegemony. And I used to say anathema instead of anathema or antithesis instead of antithesis. Like, it's bizarre. And I think it's just because yeah. I like to compare myself. <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous. I like to compare myself to Winston Churchill in this respect because when Winston Churchill was young, he didn't necessarily have everyone teaching him how to say things, but he loved to read. He loved to read books. And some of these books might have had weird, mysterious words. So he used to pronounce them as, as well as he knew how to. 99% yeah. of the time he was always wrong. And that's yeah. a lot of, the lot of, but he was, he was too proud. Really and and of course it's, it's, uh, it's the English language that is at fault here because the way English is spelled is almost never the way it is uh, said. <laughs> the, the comforting thing for me as a listener is, hey, look here, here is a, a native speaker and he has trouble with it. So why should I be embarrassed? Yeah. Yeah. So forget um, about the Dutch names. Who cares? I mean, nobody knows, but it, it's, it's a, it's a struggle and I can see that all history podcasters are struggling with it and all history podcasters are constantly being apologetic about it oh i'm hope i i, I probably butchered this name right now and, and nobody gets it right ever and uh, and and as a language person myself because i i'm i'm invested in uh, i i know five six languages and 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 it's so easy online to learn languages, so I'm I'm dabbling in about twenty more. I'm so fond of languages, so I'm 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 so sensitive about this that I've learned uh, not to bring it up. But I I can also see that it's 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 sometimes it's, it's at your fingertips. It can be it can be addressed very easily. Mm. And, but but it's 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 a, it's something that takes some investment. And then there's the mo- moment of the performance. Because it was, uh, it, it was a very interesting experience when a, a, a Dutch guy who was, did a, a Dutch podcast about the First World War, uh, it's, it's one of the best podcasts out there. 
he approached me when he was making a podcast uh, episode within his series about Chaim Weizmann, the Zionist uh, diplomat who became the first president of the country of Israel. Right. And, and so he had a number of Zionists in his story, and he sent me the script, and he said, will you please give me an instruction how to pronounce these names? And I, I sent him audio files, and I, I gave instructions to him, and since he is a Dutch speaker, and you have the, the guttural ch in Dutch, so yeah. you can get Nachum uh, Sokolov right, and all those things, and I, I listened to the podcast that I was ready. Okay, this time it's good. people are going to get it right. And <laughs> he's gotten it wrong all the time because ap- apparently for this 15, 20 minutes that you have to perform, you're still reading off the paper and, and the way you see the letters appear before you, uh, that's going to dictate how you're going to, to pronounce it. And yeah. so a double O in, in English is an O, and you mm. see the name of the Dutch ambassador in, in, in Paris, and for you it is Peter de Groot. <laughs> when in, in, uh, in, in Dutch it is Peter de Groot, because we have no G, we have only the G in, in, in Dutch, just, and yeah. double O is a long O. And, and, and uh, you will be completely forgiven if you say Groot, but because it's also Hugo the Groat. He was the, the son of uh, the famous Hugo the Groat. Yeah. The Groat, of course. But uh, Hugo the Groat. Okay, Hugo, Hugh the Groat. At least say that. Okay. Uh, but getting it right in real time is, 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 is very difficult. Mm. And English native speakers are very, very usually not supposed to foreign languages. And that's making it more difficult. You're completely unprepared for this. Yeah. yeah, indeed, you have no idea. And French is a, is a disaster as well because they're sticking in superfluous letters that they're not even pronouncing. How can you know? Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. I, made well, sure. I, I enjoyed this tremendously, and if you feel like doing it again, I, I'm game. Oh, me too, absolutely. And you know what, I will take you up on that offer of pronouncing names right because I think it's about time I did research on the likes of that. It is about time. But yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much, Anna. And You're I'm welcome. Sure I will talk to you soon. Good. And that's the end of the conversation. Alrighty. What did we think of that? I think it went really well. And I think Anna hasn't offended too many people or too many listeners or indeed myself. So he's welcome to come back on the podcast anytime. A huge thanks to Anna again for coming on board and giving us some of his free time and some of his wisdom, some of his knowledge, some of his experience and spreading it across the airways, spreading it into your ears. It's one of the few times he's been in podcast land, guys. And maybe if he does get around to setting up that podcast he has planned or even if he doesn't, hey, we got to, we nabbed him and we, we got him on the show. So that's great. Yeah. Thanks again to Anna for coming on and Thanks again to you for listening, because, hey, this has been fun. I really enjoyed it. And I think that taken together with everything else, it forms, well, as close to a party atmosphere as one can get when making a podcast. All right, guys, I'm going to get out of here. Thanks very much for listening. My name is Zach, and I will see you all very soon. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.